Good morning, everybody. I'm Daniel. Uh, glad to be on staff here. And uh, would you pray with me as we get into God's word this morning? Jesus, we need your help as we come to your word every single time. Um, because as much as we might be able to read the words and, um, and to a certain point understand them, it is only you that can make them come alive in our lives. Um, and even in that last song that we sang, as we think about that day where we will get to look into your eyes and see the contours of your face and hear the tone of your voice, um, we can imagine that today, but one day that will be so real to us. And we look forward to that day. Uh, but as we do, we thank you so much for your word. Um, we know the whole point of your word is to point us to yourself, to Jesus. And so would you do that this morning? Would we see you more clearly? And uh, would you make us more like you through your Holy Spirit? We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm sure most of us have done this. Um, and uh, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, you kind of know it's probably not the best thing to do, but you kind of do it anyway, just because you just do. But it's, it's that thing, you know, where you're listening to somebody talk and the story's gone on a little too long. <laughs> You've lost interest. <laughs> what they're saying. And so you're listening, but you're not really listening anymore. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you're just kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm hearing the noise so that I know when to say, oh yeah. Like when they stop, you know, so like they, that's, that's about as, as much as you hear sometimes. Um, but then in those moments where you're sort of half listening, there's that moment where they say something that brings you back to attention. You're like, wait, what did you just say? This is what I feel when I read the passage that we're getting into today. That for some of us, this stuff may seem really familiar. And on one level, you know, for many of us, we've maybe heard some of these things before, these teachings of Jesus. And so it can be easy to sort of just let it become background noise but when we lean in and we actually look at what he's really saying, I don't know about you, but me, when I read this stuff, and maybe you'll feel the same as we go through this passage today, you'll be like, wait, what did he just say? So let's get into it and let's just trust that God is going to do something as we go through this passage and just kind of bring us to attention maybe in a new way. So we're in Luke chapter 6, um, and we're going to start out in verses 20 and 21. So if you would go there with me, it's also going to be on the screen for you. This is what it says. It says, and he, Jesus, lifted up his eyes on his disciples. So he's speaking specifically to his disciples. And he said, blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Now, the first thing I just want to point out, just to give us some context, is that again, he's speaking specifically to his disciples. So as he delivers this teaching, and there's more of it that will come in, you know, in future weeks, but this first part, he is speaking specifically to his disciples. There's kind of an assumption of a relationship that's already there. 
Okay, so I want us, I want us to, to kind of hold on to that throughout the rest of this stuff that we read through. That these are people that are going to be walking alongside Jesus. I mean, Jesus spent a ton of time with his disciples. A ton of time. And we get to read, you know, stories about specific things they did. But outside of those stories, they were walking around together, eating together, you know, you know, staying different places. And th- th- they were spending tons and tons of time together. So um, that's the first thing I want us to hold on to. Okay. The second thing I just want to clarify for us is this, uh, this word blessed or blessed. Okay. Um, because it's not something that we, it's not a word that we use a whole lot, or at least not in the same way that they use it here. We kind of are like, Ooh, I got the closest parking spot. I'm blessed. You know, it's like, it's a little bit deeper than that. What Jesus is talking about here. When he says blessed, he's really talking about the, a state of total well-being, this kind of overarching peace or this, this kind of satisfied or supreme happiness. Okay. So it's, it's really this, this idea of being blessed or being blessed is what every human heart wants. We all want to be this way. We all want to feel this way, right? The pursuit of happiness. It's like we want to experience this kind of fulfillment, this kind of settled, everything is well, I am happy kind of existence. And in this context, again, what Jesus is specifically pointing to and and just like all of his teachings, is that this stuff happens in relationship with God, okay? So the kind of blessing he's talking about is a blessing that comes from God. And so you know that when Jesus says, blessed are you who are, you know that the disciples' ears perked up. Like this is, this is what it looks like to live this kind of life. The kind of life that you long to have, this is what it looks like. Blessed are these people and their ears are perked up and they're like, okay, what are, what, who is he going to talk about? What kind of person is he going to talk about? And I want us to pause for a moment and think about that. What, what do you think the disciples expected to hear? Probably similar things to what you and I would expect to hear if this was the first time we were hearing Jesus say this. And for some of us, it might be this morning. The first time we're hearing these words, what do we expect Jesus to say after he says, blessed are those who are fill in the blank. If you were going to describe what a blessed person looks like, what are some things that you would put in there? Because my guess is what Jesus says is shocking to the disciples, and probably is shocking to us this morning. Because he doesn't say the things that we think of when we think of what does it look like if somebody is blessed. Because if I was to ask any of us in this room that question, what are some things we would think of? What does it look like to be a blessed person? Well, it probably looks like you have some like, you know, you have good relationships and you're probably, maybe you're not like insanely rich, but you at least have like a good comfortable living and, you know, you kind of have this stuff in order and you, you at least have food in your stomach, right? And, you know, we would kind of go down the list and these are the opposite things than what Jesus is saying. So this is part of, this is part of the kind of confuddling thing when I read the gospels is that even though I've been reading, you know, I, I, I grew up in a Christian home and I'm, this is not me trying to be impressive, by the way, this is just the reality of my life. Okay. My dad was a youth pastor. So I just heard this stuff all the time. 
okay? I've, I've read this stuff a lot, and I, I just share that to say that right now, this, this year of my life, I have never been more kind of caught off guard by the things that Jesus says than I ever have before in my life. The things that Jesus say shock me more today than they ever have before in my life. And the only reason I can think of, at least in part, why that is for myself personally, is because I more and more realize that when Jesus was saying this stuff, he wasn't just saying it. That when he was saying this stuff, he really meant it and that it's supposed to be part of my life. And when that shift happens for us, this stuff can't just stay on the page anymore. And it's just kind of frustrating and a little bit like, uh, yeah, it's a little befuddling. It's like kind of shakes us up a little bit. Because when Jesus talks about the blessed person, who does he say? He says the poor, the hungry, those who weep. See, Jesus flips everything we take for granted on its head. And I mean the things we take for granted. Like the things in your mind where it's like, you know, if I was to ask you, what does a blessed person look like? It's like, well, it's so obviously this. And Jesus says all the opposite things. I mean, what is, what is going on here? Is, and it makes me think like, Jesus, are you, like, are you serious right now? You're just trying to, you're just kind of like trying to be a little extreme, just to like kind of prove a point and like, oh, okay, yeah, you're totally Jesus. Yeah, I get it. Okay, good one. Okay, what's next? No, I think he's very serious. And if we look at all of the things, I mean, we, you start looking through the gospels, you start looking at all the things that Jesus did and said, I mean, this is how it works in the kingdom of God. Everything is upside down from what we just take for granted, right? The last shall be first. The least will be the greatest. If you want to be the greatest, you have to be the servant of all. Like, that doesn't make sense. How is serving people a path to greatness? How is being last going to make me, that doesn't make any sense. And I think the most maddening part about this passage that we're looking at this morning is that the ultimate fruit of this blessedness does not fully happen right now, but actually in the future. And that is so hard. It's so hard. There's, a, there's an absolute right now blessedness that we experience in Jesus. Absolutely. But it's a now but not yet. Part of the blessedness we experience right now is knowing what's to come. Knowing when Jesus makes a new heaven and a new earth that we will live with him forever as things were made to be. Like that, that really gives context to the life we live right now. But it's not right now yet, is it? And we don't necessarily love that because we love instant gratification. We just do. I mean, we are a country that is built upon debt. It's almost like, you know, there, there's this sense like with, with just like the way that our economy works. If, if you think about like things during you know, the, the early wars of the century, World War I, World War II, there's like this rationing thing. Now, you know, there's things with like 9-11 and they're like, don't stop buying stuff. Don't stop traveling or the terrorists win. 
We are a nation built off of acquiring and just what do I want right now? I need to get it right now. And we have this really backwards idea of needs and wants. My little two-year-old daughter, Eden, is, uh, we're trying to teach her about needs and wants and the difference right now. And it's really funny. And here's the thing about kids, okay? Because as an adult, you can look at a kid and be like, wow, why are you doing that? That's really dumb. Um, but as an adult, we still do the same things. So with Eden, what we're kind of working with her on right now is, so she, um, she's a big sister. Her little brother is uh, like seven months old right now. And he's, you know, He's pretty good at sitting. He's my son, so he's got, you know, a wide base to work with. But he's, you know, he's still not like super stable. And so she can pretty much, pretty easily just knock him over, which she feels the need to do sometimes, apparently. Because she will go and whether it's her just trying to pick him up and hold him or just sometimes I think as a two-year-old, she's like, what happens if I do, you know? And I will be like, or me or my wife will be like, Eden, don't push your brother over. And she'll say, but I need to push him over. And we're like, no, you, you don't. You might want to push him over. You don't need to push him over. Everything, okay, everything we tell her, we're like, Eden, don't do that. But I need to do that. Every single thing. And even though that's funny and it's obvious to us, I think about the way that God must view my life. But God, I really need Okay. Okay. Sure you do. You might want that, right? That's not what you really need. And I think part of our problem is just similar to how my daughter is, right? We tend to be a little backwards on wants and needs. And what that leads us to do is it leads us to treat the symptoms that we feel the most presenting kind of things right in our face versus the underlying cause of those things. What am I talking about, okay? I'm talking about something like loneliness. So just to play this out a little bit, you know, again, Eden's example is kind of funny, but as an adult, right? Say as an adult, I just feel super lonely. So what is my response to that loneliness. See, because what Jesus wants to do is he wants to meet me there. He wants to treat the cause of my loneliness or my unblessedness. And ultimately, the cause is my sinful disposition to try to be God of my own life. That is my ultimate need. I need Jesus to forgive my sins, to restore my relationship with God. And that is where I actually find fulfillment and blessedness. But my disposition is that I want to try to be God in my life. So I feel this loneliness. If I'm God, I need to meet that need. So what am I going to do? I'm going to run to, oh, I'm going to try these, I'm going to try, you know, romantic relationships. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go have, get a girlfriend or get a boyfriend or whatever. And okay, this is going great. This is going great. Oh, all of a sudden it's not going so great. <laughs> okay, that one didn't work out. Well, I better try it again. I better try it again. I better try it again. I'm sure some people in this room have been in that kind of a cycle. Eventually, you either just keep doing it over and over again. Maybe eventually, let's say I get tired of that. I'm like, this is not working. Now, 
I guess I'll just try to achieve at my job. I can't control my relationships. I'm going to try to just achieve at my job. Well, then COVID hits. I'm fired. Rats. Well, thankfully, I just got a PS5. Okay. I'm going to be up all night long playing video games. And after a couple of days of that, how am I feeling? Pretty bad. That loneliness is still there, still eating away at me. So what am I going to do? PS5 is not helping me. Maybe I'm going to start taking some different substances to try to numb the way that I feel. And all of these things just compound the problem. I'm just trying to treat the most surface level symptom. I'm not getting to the root cause. What do I really need? What is the answer to my loneliness? It's relationship with God. It's the healing that comes from knowing Jesus. That's the only thing that will ever stop the cycle of pursuit forever and ever and ever and ever. That when I come to him, God, the source of life, I can actually find life. See, Jesus is saying, well, he, what he's not saying is that it's necessarily fun to be poor or hungry or whatever. Rather, that we are blessed when our confidence and our hope and our comfort are in Jesus. When we place those things in Jesus, we find immeasurable blessing. One thing I want us to miss, okay, here, is because we, in general, we really, you know, and, and this is a good thing, we want to find ourselves in the scripture, but I don't want us to miss the other thing that Jesus is saying here, because it's extremely important, right? So there's a call to us to find to, to, to put our confidence, our hope, our, our comfort in Jesus, to find those things in Jesus. But also, Jesus is really specifically talking about the way that he values those who tend to be seen as unimportant. All over the New Testament, they talk about in the problem that there was in churches, which again, this problem still exists today, but even then, okay, people don't change, that then people in churches were giving preferential treatment to people who were rich and people who were poor, they were kind of pushing to the side. They were saying to the rich people, hey, take these nice seats up front. And the poor people, they're like, oh, hey, get out of the front. <laughs> and they're like, that is not okay. But here's the thing about us is that we still tend to do that, right? We tend to value people who we think could add value to our life. If you think about it, if you, if you had a friend who you knew was like super wealthy, would you treat that person differently? I bet you would. <laughs> I bet you would. Why? Because we find, we think that we have an opportunity to enrich our lives. And when somebody who we maybe think is poor often maybe we'll avoid that person because they are not going to enrich my life. In fact, they might need something from me. So I'm going to just like avoid that. But hey, you got a lot of money. Oh yeah, what's up, man? We just do that, okay? That's, that's part of our natural sinful tendency is to place value in the world, in the way the world places value. That is not how Jesus does it. He's placing specific value on those who would tend to be undervalued, oppressed, etc. And he sees, and Jesus is trying to help us to see, that there is a unique and special blessing from God in situations that aren't necessarily enjoyable. 
So again, I just want us to make sure that we're on this, on this page, but Jesus is talking to his disciples. So he's not saying that, you know, people with a little money go to heaven and people with a lot of money don't, or like, this is a checklist. You gotta, it's the only thing that gets us favor with God is relationship with Jesus. Okay. This isn't about numbers. It's about our heart. It's about a relationship with God. And what he's really saying is he's saying, blessed are those who are poor in material things and are also my disciples. And so they're putting their trust in God. And really, again, it just, he's just saying there's a special blessing really for anybody, anybody who puts their trust in God, who looks to God to satisfy their needs, right? It's those people who will actually be satisfied. It's, it's those people who are dependent on God that will actually find what they're longing for. So let's continue verses 20 through, 22 through 23. He says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the son of man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy for behold, your reward is great in heaven for so their fathers did to the prophets. And again, this is another one of those things where I'm like, what? Are you serious? I'm blessed when people hate me because for me, I don't know about you, but for me, a lot of my life tends to be oriented around getting people to not hate me. Like, I would like it if everybody loved me, but even if people were just neutral about me, that's cool, right? It's like if I'm at like a thing and I walk away and people are like, wait, he was here? It's like, sweet, that, that's cool with me. That's fine. But if I walk away, if I, like say I'm hanging out with some people, you know, not right now because COVID, but if I'm hanging out with some people and I walk away and they're like, man, that guy was such a dummy. Like, I really think he's, I think he's really dumb. Like clinically, I think he's, I think there's a problem. Like that would not feel good to me. And the thing that I was really challenged by, I mean, I was challenged, I'm, and I'm challenged by everything, honestly, in this passage. One thing I was specifically challenged by was that uh, people, if, if people, sorry, if I want people to like me and that's my primary goal in a situation, I'm probably not following Jesus. I'm probably not. If people liking me is my primary goal, I'm probably not following Jesus. Because if I say that I follow Jesus, I shouldn't be surprised if he leads me to places where he went. Another way to say that is, if I follow the way that Isaiah talks about Jesus, if I follow the suffering servant, I shouldn't be surprised if there's some suffering. Or another way to say it, if the way that Jesus lived led him to the cross, I shouldn't be surprised if following him causes some people to hate me. It shouldn't be surprising to us. And if you read what Jesus says to his disciples, he actually says this a bunch of times. He says, people will hate you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the ultimate pep talk. Yeah. Not really. We're afraid of being hated. If we're honest, we're afraid. We're afraid of people. We're afraid of what people might say. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of being canceled. We look at stories of other people who said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing and their whole life was, you know, wrecked by it. We're worried. We're afraid of that. 
But I would just encourage us this morning that maybe there's a blessedness we haven't experienced because we're too afraid to love like Jesus did. See, what I'm not talking about, and I think this, this gets mixed up a lot, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean everything that people do to you is persecution, okay? If you're just a mean person or an unloving person, people are just going to be mad at you for that. And that is not what Jesus is talking about. Let me give an example here, okay? The disciples that he's talking to, they, um, we've, if we fast forward into Acts chapter 5, the, these, these very disciples kept getting called in by kind of the religious leaders saying, hey, stop talking about Jesus. Stop preaching the gospel. And they were like, sorry, bro, can't do it. I've, we have to do it. We have to talk about this. And they're like, no, you can't. And they're like, well, I don't know what to tell you, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Like, we're going to keep doing it. So they brought him in. They let him go. They brought him back. They put him in jail. God let him out of jail. And then they found them preaching the gospel again. So then they bring them in and they beat them up and then say, okay, don't do this anymore. So they beat them up and let them go. And it, the very next thing it says, after they, get, after they get beat up, the very next thing it says about the disciples, and again, these are the same guys throughout all the gospels. They didn't get it. They were asking all the dumb questions. They were doing all the wrong stuff. Okay. These guys, right after being beat up, it said they went away rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name. Isn't that incredible? But here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus is so good we rejoice when we join in his suffering. He is that good. Now for us here in America, you know, there, there are many forms of suffering, okay? So I'm not minimizing that. But we have a lot of freedom when it comes to the way that we get to express um, our faith in Jesus. There are a lot of people in other places around the world who do not have the same freedom and in fact, face jail time, even death, if they were caught doing the same kind of things we're doing openly this morning. And here's the thing I just want to encourage us with here in America, okay? Those, those disciples, those people around the world, they have made the decision, I'm going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life, no matter what. That is, that is a decision that we all have to make. That at a certain point, you have to say, I am going to follow Jesus. I'm getting off the fence and I'm going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life, no matter what. But here's the thing I want to encourage us with this morning is that although those, those folks who are experiencing intense persecution right now are wonderful, amazing brothers and sisters in Christ. They don't have any advantages to you and me as far as what it takes to follow Jesus to the end. We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same Holy Spirit. I believe that God releases special grace to those who are under persecution. And it is his Holy Spirit that helps us to follow him to the end. Okay, so if you have decided that you are following Jesus to the end, if that's a decision you made, he is the one that helps us to do that, whatever it looks like. Whatever it looks like. 
Whether it looks like persecution, whether it looks like, you know, you're just going to be faithful for the rest of your life. Whatever that looks like. He's the one that's going to do it. So when we see something about people hating us and think, you know, on the surface level, we're like, oh no, I really don't like that. On the other side, when God is helping us to, he's renewing our vision. He's helping us to see the way he sees. We say, all right, that makes sense. That makes total sense. In fact, I think I'm doing the right thing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that I get to be a part of what you're doing. All right, let's continue. Verses 24 through 26. Jesus flips this thing kind of more to the, the negative here. He kind of takes the opposite approach where he's saying, blessed are these people. Now he's pronouncing woes to these people. He says, woe to you who are rich for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. And I felt so heavy as I read this passage because I think in many ways, we in at least, you know, and again, as much as I can speak for us, I'll just speak for myself think totally ignored a lot of this because if you want to see the main values of our culture, look at what Jesus just said here. Riches, food, entertainment, the praise of people, fame. That's what he's talking about. Those are like the pinnacle of America. Like that's what America says. Like this is the stuff. This is the stuff that's going to make you feel so blessed. Yet we see people who have achieved it over and over and over again. They're like, it stinks up here, you guys. This isn't any better. I achieved all my wildest dreams and I'm still the same person. And I, and I just want to, want to encourage you to really include yourself in this list. Because again, we think like, oh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not rich, you know. Well, it really depends who you compare yourself to, doesn't it? If you, I mean, if you, could, if you compare yourself to like Jeff Bezos, yeah, everybody's poor. But if you think about even, think about people who lived a hundred years ago. Think about the things you have that are, would just be mind-blowingly luxurious. You might not even have a lot of money in the bank per se. But I, I know this sounds dumb, but like literally the fact that we've got like electricity the fact that we have indoor plumbing, safe, fresh water to drink out of our faucet, we are rich. We are rich. And I'm not trying to trivialize because we, we definitely have real poverty in America. So I'm not, I'm not trivializing that. But we are absolutely rich. I mean, the things we have today were only afforded to the absolute ultra wealthy of the past. And we kind of take it for granted today. But here's the thing is that for all of us, and again, this isn't a numbers game for, G- for Jesus. So it's not like we're, we're measuring out who's got this much money, who's got this. That's not what he's doing. It's all about the heart with Jesus. And ultimately what he's saying here is about all of these things. Whether we're talking about food, we're talking about money, we're talking about relationships, whatever. If you don't let Jesus be the master of those things. Those things will master you. 
If you don't let Jesus be the master of your money, it will master you. And what Jesus says is at the end of that, if money is your master, the emptiness and the loneliness you feel right now, that's as good as it gets. If you let relationships be your master, the loneliness you still feel, the emptiness you still feel, that is as good as it gets. We don't find fulfillment in these things. Blessed are the ones that put their trust in God and beware if you've put your trust anywhere but in Jesus. So I cannot stress this enough. We need to be very careful. And this is the, this is the thing that I felt health, heaviest about. We need to be very careful about how much we've been blessed here in America and the way that we view blessing. We need to be very careful. And, <clears throat> and, and I, I feel even weird talking about it a little bit this morning, not because it's not true, but just because it feels like, even as I've just been reading this and g- getting this stuff ready for this week and stuff, just feels like Jesus is like just barely starting to scratch the surface of this stuff in my life. I mean, this is a, this is a journey ahead of us, everybody. This isn't something we suddenly arrive and it's like, woohoo, I've got it all down. It's not like that, okay? This is an ongoing journey and I'm so thankful that we get to do it together. But we, have, we need Jesus himself to show us what it looks like to live with this kind of open-handedness, this kind of trust, this kind of dependence on God and not putting that trust in other things, all right? So I want us to take sort of a, a shift into this next section and, uh, and as I read this, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about it afterwards, but I want us to hear this because this is, a, again, might be a, a passage, at least parts of it are, might be familiar to you. But um, if we don't first learn how to put our trust in God, and again, it's that, that's something that it's, it's a one-time thing, right? We decide to follow Jesus and then it's an ongoing thing. I continue to trust God with different situations in my life. So as we're on that journey of trusting God, if we don't begin to learn how to do that, this next part will never make sense. So let's read this, verses 27 through 36. Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So I want to be, be careful of not, not trying to play the Holy Spirit this morning because this stuff, I mean, again, we could take that word for word, line for line, and there's just, I mean, it's, it's crazy the amount of implications that this could have on our lives if we began to live this out. I mean, does this look anything like what you see in our culture? Is this how people interact with each other? 
Is this how you hear people telling you to interact with other people? Nobody but Jesus have I ever heard saying this stuff. I don't see anybody interacting like this online. I mean, this is, this is mind-blowing teaching. <laughs> On one hand, it like absolutely doesn't make sense. Why would I do that? Why would I love my enemy? Why? Why would I do that? Why would I pray for somebody who has abused me? Why would I do that? Does that make anybody mad? It should make you a little mad, probably. It means you're interacting with Jesus. We need to come to a place of where we're like really letting this stuff hit us. That we can't just read this and be like, oh yeah, Jesus, that was some crazy stuff you said. All right, see you later. We need to let him do some heart work in our lives. Because this is a scary question, but what if Jesus really meant what he said here? What if he really meant it? Because I, I just encourage you, this is as extreme as it sounds. The one thing I would just give a little bit of context to is that when he says somebody slaps you on the cheek, offer the other side to, he's not talking about somebody who's going to like do physical bodily harm and going to like beat you down and hurt you. He's talking more about like an insulting slap kind of thing. Okay, so that's, I think that's a really important distinction to make. But a lot of the stuff, I mean, so the generosity stuff, give to everyone who begs from you. If somebody takes from you, don't demand it back. If somebody takes your shirt, give them your other shirt. What? I think he really means it. I think he really means it. And I don't know about you, but that does something in me that makes me go, man, Jesus, I need your help. I need your help because this is not the way that I think about life most of the time. If somebody takes from me, I'm about ready to, I'm, I'm going to be doing the slapping. <laughs> right? But here's the thing. I, I, I want us to, to think about this. This is where we're going to wrap up. The way that you treat other people will show where your hope lies. The way that you treat other people, that will show where your hope lies. See, because if our hope is in ourselves and what we can do for ourselves, if I'm God and I need, I need to satisfy my deep needs, my deep longings, then I'm, you know, money, food, entertainment, getting people's praise, getting famous, whatever. I will never love my enemy because they are in the way of my fulfillment. I will never be generous because I need enough for myself. I might be able to give out of my excess, but Jesus says, give out of your neediness. I don't know. Nobody talks like this, you guys. Nobody but Jesus. And here's the problem, is that when we are gods in our own life, we live in a system of scarcity. I need to make sure I have enough. I need to hoard my resources. I barely have, I mean, yeah, people who love me, people who are cool with me, like, absolutely, like, because I'm getting something there. But my enemy, not only am I not getting something, not only is it just neutral, they're actively trying to hurt me in some way. And I'm supposed to love them? I'm supposed to pray for them? I'm supposed to give to them if they ask? If they take something, I'm supposed to just let them have it? I want to let them have it, right? 
This is the kind of stuff that Jesus says. See, if we live in a system of scarcity, we're never going to be generous. We're never going to love our enemies. Jesus calls us to living in a place of blessedness where our dependence is on God, where he is our heavenly father who is the creator of the universe and has never once lacked anything and has actually extended all of the resources available to you in Jesus to love everyone around you. That's who God is. That's what he's done through Jesus. I mean, think about how incredibly generous God has been with us. He didn't just give us some stuff, which is what we usually think about when we think about a blessed person, somebody who has some stuff. No, God gave us himself. Everything that he could have, like, there's nothing more he could give. Nothing more. We've been given the absolute inc- most incredible gift. And I think we can't understand that right now. We can't fully understand that. And I think for all of eternity, like we think, yeah, when I'm with Jesus, like I'll be so smart and I'll kind of understand everything. I don't think we'll ever fully understand that. I think for the rest of eternity, we're going to say, how is that even possible? How is it possible that God of the universe could become a human? How is it possible that God of the universe would even care about me enough to come for me? I think we're going to be amazed by that for the rest of eternity. And if that is our heavenly father, man, we have unlimited resources for our short time here on earth to love the people around us. So let me just ask you, if Jesus was serious about this stuff, what would that change in your life? How would your interactions with people be different? How would it be different if you really understood that your heavenly father is the creator of the universe and he has a different kind of blessedness for you than what you can earn for yourself? So I'm gonna ask the band to come up and as they do, the last thing I just wanna encourage you is this, okay? And and I think this is something we always need to be careful of because it's so easy to show up to church on a Sunday morning turn on a sermon or whatever, and you hear some good thoughts, you kind of understand it, and you're like, sweet, I got, you know, I, I heard something new that I'd never heard before, or that, ah, that, was, that one really got me. Oh, good one. And then just think that like, sweet, I understand it now. I've got it. Check. What's next? I just really encourage us as a church, like, let's be the kind of people that we take God's word during the week and wrestle with it. That we be the kind of people that we take this, and I encourage you to do this this week. Take these few verses that we read today and just open your own Bible on your phone or if you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I will give you a Bible. Open it up, Luke chapter 6, verses 20 to 36. Read it yourself. Say, Jesus, is there something specific you want to do in my life? Is there something specific you want to change in my life? And I just, I, I, really, I really encourage you. I think he will do it. I think, he, I think he, will, he will make himself known to you. I think you will hear him give you specific direction. Maybe not in an audible voice, right? But I think you will see something in this passage that I didn't even say today. And he will make it very clear what he wants you to do in your life and how he's gonna work that out in your life. I think, he'll, I think he will do it. It's what the Holy Spirit does. It's his job. So let's pray. Jesus, we need you. Um, 
I just pray for us, Jesus, that um, like you said in your word, I mean, it's easy to look like people in the world. That's, that comes naturally to us. It's easy for us to love people who love us back. It's easy for us to give when we know we're gonna get something back. But Jesus, I pray that we would look like your children, that we would look like your body. I pray like specifically for this church, Pleasant Valley Church here in Winona, Minnesota, that you would continue to change us and transform us so that our communities would see you clearly in us. Jesus, I pray that we would be so um, transformed in the way that we think, that our eyes would see the way you see, that we would value people the way you value them. And God, I ask that you would do something in us collectively as your body, as this local church, that we would have to see to believe. Jesus, I ask that we would be open, that we would trust you, and that this week as you lead us individually through time in your word, that you would speak and transform us and that you would unleash us to the people around us. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.